0: Well, He is risen. Mildly convincing. (laughs) But what does it mean? What does it mean for you as you say that? What does it mean for you as you say he is risen? What has it actually changed in your life? Has it got any kind of concrete meaning in your life? Is it just a saying, just an expression that we trot out at this time of year because it's Easter and we like to say the right things at Easter As he is he has risen perhaps more like lest we forget, loaded with significance, surrounded with moving symbolism and ceremony, story, but it 's an aspirational line it 's an aspirational quote if you like it 's dependent upon our ability to be moved. By the, by the story, our ability to be moved by the memory, dependent on our ability to go and then create the change that it longs for, the change that it hopes for, that one day the, the cycle of chaos will give way to peace. Or is he is risen, something that we say, out of a transformed reality? out of actually encountering the risen Lord Jesus and having him pour his peace into our chaos. Are the words attached to uh, this, little, this little phrase, actually uh, an encounter, a, a concrete reality that allows us to experience peace in the chaos and hecticness of this world. Have you ever had one of those weeks? One of those weeks where everything feels like it's just falling apart. Everything feels like it's just out of control and crashing down around you. There's little bits of your life in the scattered debris around you. Maybe it's not so much that you're having a bad week. Maybe it's that you are in a bad environment. A bad relationship. A bad work situation. A bad marriage. Maybe you're a Collingwood supporter. But your world is interrupted by chaos constantly if you're a Collingwood supporter. What what holds you together? What brings peace to you when that happens? The first Easter was one of those weeks. The conversation of Cleopas and the other of uh, Jesus' disciples, the conversation that they were having on the road to Emmaus gives us a little window uh, into the chaos of that first Easter, into the chaos that the disciples were experiencing in that first Easter. History records for us that for roughly three years, the disciples uh, had been uh, in this exciting and exclusive little group uh, they 'd been invited to be in this little group. They were the people that had been invited to come into the core into the center of this new movement, a movement that was founded by a very edgy but very conservative, uh, radical, but somewhat progressive teacher called Jesus of Nazareth, a carpenter who had, who had turned rabbi, edgy. Because he made all of these controversial claims that kept bringing him into conflict with the religious rulers, with the established um, religion of the day. We have the historic records of these edgy kind of confrontations that Jesus had. They're in the Gospels for us. He made claims like the fact that he could forgive people's sin, make them right with God, literally cure the chaos between the relationship of humanity and God. He made claims that he alone uh, could give eternal life, a quality of life that, that, that went on forever in enduring peace. Jesus made claims that he himself is truth, that he is the source of truth. Jesus assumed things like the authority to judge the world, to evaluate the heart of every single person who ever lived, Jesus assumed the right to be worshipped. He claimed equality with God. He claimed that all Scripture actually pointed and, and to Him and was about Him. He claimed to be perfect. He claimed to be sinless. To know Jesus was to know God. To see Jesus was to see God. To receive Jesus was to receive God. And He claimed that because of these claims, He would be put to death And that three days later he would rise again to the same quality of eternal life that he said he was the source of. A life of peace with God. He was a conservative rabbi, conservative teacher, because he re-established, he redefined the scope of the law to address the, the human heart at a motivational level. Not merely that the law would be something that, that just pertained to the external actions confined to uh, what you did, you know, the practices of your life. Jesus said things like, you have heard it said that you shall not murder and whoever murders is liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry Everyone who has a heart motivated towards murderous deeds is liable to judgment. He said things like, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone that looks at a woman with lustful intent, anyone who thinks I'd like to commit adultery, has already committed adultery in their hearts. You have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love Your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Jesus was the most aggressive and conservative teacher of his day. He was loosening nothing. He was tightening things up. Radical because he was self-authoritative with these teachings. But progressive. Some might even call him liberal. Because he took these teachings to the margins. He took these teachings to the poor. He took these claims and these teachings to the powerless, to those who had been overrun with chaos. Chaos that comes from being powerless. Chaos that comes from being oppressed. Chaos that comes from being impoverished. Those who had chaos because of relational abuse and relational dysfunction. Those who had chaos because of sickness, incurable sickness and death. Disease. Jesus moves toward those who have no capacity to help themselves, to get themselves out of the chaos that they find themselves in. And shockingly, in the culture of the day, Jesus moves towards those who, have, who will not improve his brand, who will not bring any kind of strength to this, to this movement They're not going to give him any prestige. There's going to be no sponsorship sort of deals coming out of rolling with these people. In fact, they actually are the cause of some of the shame that begins to be leveled at Jesus. You know, he eats with sinners, that kind of thing. It was mainly but not exclusively amongst the lives of these people, those on the outside of religious acceptability, those on the outside of social approval, that Jesus would demonstrate and back up his claims uh, that was so scandalous. He would back them up with, with acts of miraculous compassion, restoring sight to the blind, healing the sick, bringing the dead back to life, bringing order and healing the chaos in people's lives not just because he's a nice guy, not just because it's a nice thing to do, but because from a biblical point of view, from a biblical promise, Jesus has come to reverse and destroy the curse of sin, which is the underlying cause to all the chaos we encounter in life. Jesus' life is a public demonstration that he has been sent from God to restore our lives by replacing its chaos with his presence. By being a greater reality in our hearts than sin and the chaos that ensues. John Greister, he's a professor of history, church history, and he made these observations about Jesus. No one has ever yet discovered the word that Jesus ought to have said. No one has uh, discovered yet the deed. That Jesus ought to have done. Nothing he does falls short. In fact, he is always surprising you and taking your breath away because he is incomparably better than you could ever imagine of him yourself. His tenderness is without weakness. His strength is without harshness, humility without the slightest lack of confidence, holiness, unbending conviction without the slightest lack of approachability, power without insensitivity, passion without prejudice. There is never a false step. There is never a jarring note. This is life at the highest in this man. And the disciples are at the core of everything. Everything Jesus is doing. The disciples are at the core of all of the activity and ministry of Jesus. And they would have felt like they're on the cusp of a social and political and religious revolution. Everything a Jew dreamed of. And their man Jesus would lead them in it. But Easter would be a week of chaos. The cracks for the chaos began to emerge when Jesus began discussing his death talking about the fact that the religious leaders and the political leaders would come together to arrest him, inflict suffering on him, drown him in shame and kill him. Most distressingly into this conversation is the mysterious identity of a betrayer amongst them. And even more puzzling is is Jesus' claims of rising from the death after three days. Then there's the claim that Jesus will return And be with his Father in heaven and the disciples are going to be on their own. They will be left alone. Feelings of chaos begin to emerge. And Jesus can see the anxiety and the confusion stirring in the hearts of his friends. So he gives them a promise that will make sense when they actually experience it. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives, do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Not long after those words, Jesus is arrested. And only two of his followers hang around to find out what will become of the leader. The rest scatter, the rest hide, the rest flee for their lives. Fearing the same kind of retribution from the the leaders. One of those people who actually hangs around is Peter and he only lasts a few hours before he does the unthinkable and makes this public declaration that he would rather be dead than be associated with this man, Jesus. Chaos. Over the next 72 hours... uh, the disciples' whole world is going to unravel, is going to fall apart as the man that they hope would be their great deliverer, their great leader, is actually unlawfully trialed, is shamefully tried and convicted to die the most shameful and brutal death as a person who is essentially a social terrorist, seditious for society. And on a cross, the chaos of the world enters Jesus' world. The world turns dark. The earth literally trembles and shakes. The temple, the center of religious activity, is shaken. the curtain in there that keeps the holiness of God separate from man, torn apart. There's all kinds of crazy going on. And in three days later, the place of his burial, which itself has become a military zone, guarded by, By soldiers is under investigation from the religious authorities because the body of Jesus has vanished, is nowhere to be found. Fake news hits the social media channels that the disciples have stolen the body, perhaps trying to somehow, you know, keep the movement alive. Meanwhile, the disciples are hearing and discovering the news themselves about their missing friend, about their their leader. And they themselves either leave town head out on the Emmaus Road, or go into lockdown. This is not a group of bold, empowered, world-changing evangelists. It is a group of frightened, confused, and disoriented people hearing that Jesus has risen. And yet, chaos. How extraordinary that the greatest news to ever have been breathed found its birthplace in the lives of people in chaos. Not those with the most strategic power, the most structure, the most resources to get this news trending, but those who needed it the most, those whose lives were in chaos. They couldn't see it at first. All the information was there. But they they couldn't gain a clear picture The women who who had heard about the resurrection of Jesus, seen seen Him, they dismissed those women as just a a little bit emotionally unstable perhaps. Like after all, they were very close to Jesus. The words that Jesus had spoken had no no historical categories for them to make sense of. The idea that somebody could be resurrected back to life inside of human history, not at the end of history, at some apocalyptic event, but as history is running, is unheard of. It's, it's utterly unheard of in the entire world until this moment. It's not until Jesus actually starts appearing and holding conversations with them that the excitement begins to grow. But, but grow around what? What does it mean that Jesus has risen from the dead? He is risen. He is risen indeed. It's now an historical fact one that has more historical evidence and and confirmation around it than most stories that we have from antiquity. What is it going to mean for those who, who hold to these claims that Jesus is risen? What is it going to mean to those who hold around these claims of Jesus? That's the conversation that's happening when Jesus appears amongst this group of excited friends and the answer is immediate. It means peace. It means peace can come into your life. They are the first words from Jesus. Both Luke and John record them. Peace to you. Not, not political peace. Not, not social peace. Not, not, not even peace in your family Not the end of wars and conflicts. Not the kind of peace the world tries to enforce. Peace to you. Peace to you personally. Peace to your soul. The great comforting truth of the resurrection is the peace of Jesus. The actual presence of Jesus. The presence of Jesus that brings you peace with God. Not as an abstract idea, but as an indwelt, known and encountered reality. You might not see it at first in the chaos. Life is hectic. But hear the words of Easter Sunday, the words of the resurrection, the words of Jesus. What does it mean that he is risen? It means peace to you is possible. And in the chaos you will find an anchor of peace for your soul... A peace that establishes itself in the chaos of light, not in the absence of the chaos of life. You know, Jesus took on our chaos. He took all that keeps us apart from God. He took all that sees us tear each other apart on Good Friday. On Good Friday, he was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering, man of sorrows, rejected by mankind. Suffering familiar with pain, like one whom the people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. But surely he took up our pain. Surely he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace. Was upon him. By his wounds we are being healed. They're the words of Isaiah. He spoke them some 800 years earlier to describe how it was that that God was going to actually affect peace back into our lives. Easter Sunday, Jesus is inviting, is the living peace, the living proof that we have peace with God. Parts to those whose lives now surrender their chaos to Him. Jesus is the presence of peace in our lives when things derail, an anchor for the soul, when things fall apart. Are you held in place by like this peace? Have you met the risen Lord Jesus? Or is He just a line? Is He just a phrase? The resurrection takes the chaos of our lives makes a beautiful picture for us it makes a picture of peace Prison. And that means peace to you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for a God who does not lead us to our own chaos. We thank you for a God who does not leave us to our own self-destruction, our own selfishness, but a God who comes into our world, comes into our chaos to heal and restore. And on Easter, we learn of how He gives of himself how he enters into the chaos, how he takes on board all that destroys us sin that destroys our relationship with God, that destroys our relationship with each other. And on Sunday, rising to new life to validate that this can be a reality for us, that we can know the peace of God. This morning, we give you thanks for this and we pray that if If our souls, if our hearts have never allowed that line of He is risen to drop into our hearts and warm them with affection for a God who heals chaos. We pray that that would take place, that people would yearn to know the peace that you deliver on this day. We just pray all these things in Jesus' name.